You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. This morning, we're going to be in a standalone sermon, and it's going to be in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 24. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there with me. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you do not own a copy of the scriptures in your home, please take that Bible with you today as a gift from us. So if you're able, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's word. Again, this is Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Good, good, good start. Well, um, like Jenna said, uh, today we are going to be um, on a standalone sermon, and my hope is that it doesn't uh, sit apart from what we've been doing, but rather that it would kind of lay the framework, uh, the framework, groundwork. I was gonna, I'm, I started to say framework, and I was like, no, that's not good. I'll, I'll say groundwork. So there you go. We get framework. Um, the life of a of a guy who speaks, right? So my hope is that it lays the framework for what we're going to start next week, which is jo- the book of Jonah. Um, and, and so we're looking, we're going to look at this text and hopefully this sets the trajectory for that series. And so if you don't know me, my name is Ty Gaston. I serve as one of the staff members here at Providence Community Church. If you've been here a couple weeks in a row and you're wondering why, um, I've been here two weeks in a row, it's because, uh, court who is, who would normally be up here. He contracted COVID last week, uh, but he is on the mend. He's feeling better. Uh, he should be back next Sunday. Everything is great. Uh, but I wanted to let you guys know that's why, uh, that's why he is not here and hasn't been here the past couple weeks. So, um, yeah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and pray for us, and then we're going to move forward. Would you bow your heads? Father God, we come before you today, and uh, we're so grateful that we have a place that we get to gather, a place that we can worship you. And God, this morning we lay our hearts, our minds, and our lives at the foot of your throne. God, you are the decision maker. You're the one who directs our lives. You are the one who is sovereign. We are not. And so God, as we lean into you and as we lean into your word, would you convict us of the areas that we need to? Would you encourage us where we need to be encouraged? Would you strengthen us where we need to be strengthened? And we just ask that you would be with us today. We are not in the business of transforming hearts, changing hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. That is your business. That is not ours. And so, God, where, where the work may seem, impos- seem impossible, we ask that you would do it because you're in the business of that. God, we love you and we praise you. And it's in your beautiful name we said, amen. So um, I got my undergrad at uh, Liberty University. Um, like I said last, uh, last service, go Flames. Uh, they're amazing. They're great. 
Love them. Uh, I came back from the, uh, I, I finished my undergrad while I was active duty in the Coast Guard in San Francisco, California. And my wife and I, um, it was beautiful there, by the way. If you've never been, uh, you should make time for it. Uh, it's um, it's amazing, golly. There's no reason why I should why I should have moved aside from uh, the, really the people here. We moved because all of our family was here. This church was here. We moved because of the people. We didn't move because of the geography. That is for sure. Um, leaving that mountainous region in the San Francisco Bay where it's 65 degrees all year long to come to flat Texas where you just sweat walking to your car. That was not the reason, but. When we moved back here, I started to really consider where the Lord was leading me. And, and uh, as far as schooling goes, I knew I wanted to go to seminary, but I didn't really know where. And so after a little bit of research, I, I decided we were going to go to, not we, me, I was going to go to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and it was a fantastic time. I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, I graduated with my Master's of Divinity, and, I, and it was some of the best moments of my life. Hard work, but... Uh, some of the best people that I've ever met were the professors that I got to sit underneath. And uh, mainly the one that I think about the most was my, was my Greek professor. And uh, I'll never uh, forget Dr. Hutchinson because he was so engaging. And, and while that class was difficult, it also uh, was my favorite. It was my favorite because at the end of the day, he made it engaging. He made it lively. He connected with us. And really in a, in a cool sort of way, he pastored his students while he taught them. It was, it was really amazing. And I was grateful for that time. I ended up, uh, I was only required to take two classes, but I ended up taking three just because I wanted to be in another one of his classes. It was super fun. But the first thing he said that first week was, uh, I, it never left me. It never left me because I thought about how true it was afterwards. Uh, but he said, listen, guys, you're going to get in this semester, and you're going to come out of Greek 1, and you're going to think to yourself that you can conquer the world. But the truth is, is that you're going to know just enough to be dangerous. And I, I never forgot that statement because it's so true that you come out of that class and you feel so confident. You learn the Greek alphabet and you think that you can conquer the world and throw mountains into the sea and everyone else is wrong except for you because now you know some letters. Uh, it, it's, like, it's like when you get the flu vaccine, you get just enough of it to never get it. And it's the same thing here. You know just enough to be dangerous because you end up in your, even if you don't do it outwardly, inwardly, you're like, nah, you're wrong. It just, uh, and, and that was me. I, 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 was, I was that guy. I get really excited about things. And so when I start to learn new things, I feel like I've mastered it. Um, and that was me as a kid. Like I get one answer right in class and all of a sudden I'm the one that has to answer everything. Um, it's, uh, that's my plight in life. It's why I play golf, honestly, because it re- constantly reminds me that I will never be good at it ever. It d- doesn't matter how much I practice, how much I play. It doesn't matter how many of golf shirts I buy and how good I think I look. At the end of the day, when you shank one off into a neighborhood and it hits some, some kid's cat, it's not fun and you're not good. And so it's, it's why I do it legitimately. But the truth is, is that that statement couldn't be more true when we start to look at texts like this. And so thinking about some of the moments that happened leading up to Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, it's it's very interesting. And so you see this this really like two separate, almost opposing moments that happened between Jesus and Peter leading up to this text. The first one, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do they say that I am? 
And one of them is like, yeah, some of them say you're Elijah. Some of them say you're Moses. Some of them, they, they list off all these names. And then Peter gives the gold star answer, steps up and says, you're the son of God. And Jesus is like, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but God himself. And you could only imagine with Peter's personality how like lit up he was. Just like beaming, gold star in the chest, walking with, uh, you know, just shoulders wide. That was, that was Peter in that moment. And you know he felt that way because not even a few verses later, Jesus starts explaining what is going to happen in order for him to accomplish his mission, that he was going to have to die, and he was going to have to be crucified. And Peter, the text says that Peter pulls him aside and corrects him. That Peter, the, theological genius now, Peter, biblical interpreter, Peter, pulls God aside and says, hey, hey actually, you're not going to die. You, I think you got that one wrong. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan, because you are a hindrance to my mission. And your mind is not set on the things of God, but set on the things of man. And so this is important here because you see this interaction between Jesus and Peter, and the difference is where his mind is. Where in the first scenario, you have his mind is fully set on the kingdom. You are the son of God, and we will follow you. And not just a little bit later, his mind is apparently no longer set on the kingdom, but is set on the things of man. Set on preserving what kind of lifestyle Peter had at that moment. And so if the distinction is between understanding, knowing, and learning the things of God versus the things of man, then we need to know what that distinction is. We need to be able to understand where we are wrong and where we are walking in obedience. It's important. It's vitally important. And so that gets us into, the, into this text. Because we need, to, we need to make sure that our hearts and our minds are aligned. Because typically for us, as people, especially where we are currently located, the norms for this culture is that the things of man preserve our own comfort and push forward our own happiness. And that doesn't mean we're always doing that. It doesn't mean that we're, all, we're never pursuing God. It just means the bend of our heart and the bend of our flesh is to preserve comfort. It's just the bend if I had to generally apply it to everyone, including myself. We will seek after ourselves and preserve ourselves. Blaise Pascal, who's a theologian and mathematician, said it this way. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. This will never, uh, this will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even to those who harm themselves. So what he's saying is that there's the heart of man is to always pursue happiness, and there's no exception to this. Even men that do evil things, they do it because they're pursuing either their own happiness or the happiness of the people that they represent. But at the end of the day, they are seeking to apply their own pursuit, 
their own pursuit of happiness, their own view of what joy is, their own view of what a utopia is. They want to set into stone, even if they're evil, they want to set in stone what they think is right, what they think will make them happy. But the scripture is clear about this. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us this, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So that, that's the important distinction, right? Because if our flesh has this bend towards preserving our own comfort, preserving our own happiness and pushing that forward, if that is the bend, then there are going to be lots of things that seem right. They feel right. They sound right. They sound good. They sound wise. This is the right move. This is the right direction. We should move here. We should do this. I should take this job. We, there are going to be so many things that are going to seem right. But apparently, according to Scripture, not only is the heart the most deceitful of all things, but this kind of way of thinking, the way that seems right to establish your own way of doing things and not God's, leads to death, not life, despite how it may feel. So we have to make sure that what we're doing aligns with how God has designed things to be. All right, let's get into the text. Verse 24. This is after Jesus got done telling Peter to get behind him, Satan. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, the disciples would have known what this meant because of Rome. They would have known uh, what this meant because of Roman occupation. They would have known that this type of death, this type of crucifixion, the way of the cross was a painful and miserable way to die. They would have known that. So when they, when they heard this, it would have been absolutely appalling. But it would have been even more astonishing after Jesus died because he hadn't even gone to the cross yet. But once he went to the cross... It would have made not only so much more sense, it would have been so much more illuminating, but it would have also been all the more, um, all the more telling of what their life would look like. So he says this, if anyone would come after me, so in other words, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a faithful believer and follower of Christ, you must do these things. You must do what I'm about to say. There is no other option. There are, there are no other ways out. If you are going to be a faithful follower of Christ, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. There is no other way. There is no other way that says, yeah, I'll just do a few things that you say, and this seems great. This seems to really like align with the way I think, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll attach these, but these other things I'm not going to do. I'll, I'll preserve a little bit of what I got over here, but you don't really get to touch this, Jesus. I, I'm just going to do most of what we got right here. If I do 90%, that's right, right? I mean, in my Greek class, if I got a 90, that was great. But that's not how Christ is looking at this. He's not looking at this from a percentage basis. He's saying, are you all in? Does your, do I fully have your heart? Do I fully have your life? Or do I only have part of it? Because if I only have part of it, I have none of it. You have to give your full self over to Christ in order to follow him. So to deny yourself doesn't mean that you are just, the, that you are just subject to a life of misery. That's not what this, Jesus is not a masochist. He's, in some ways, in some ways he speaks in hyperbole. But 
Here, he's not saying that you must be miserable in order to be a Christian. The Christian life is meant to be filled with joy and thanksgiving. You see this all throughout text. I mean, Jesus is going to say some other crazy things like, I didn't come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword to, divide, to basically divide families. And obviously, that's not what Jesus is trying to do. He did bring peace. He is literally called the Prince of Peace. But he's talking in hyperbole because he doesn't want you to just, he doesn't want you, you to just give part of your heart. He wants you to give all of your heart, all of your life, all the way you think. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Not part of it. Not even 99% of it. 100% of it. It's either all or it's none at all. So it doesn't mean that you're just supposed to be subject to this life of misery. But it does mean that we must realign our life, realign how we think and believe and feel, not by, uh, not by what we think the Bible says, but by what the Bible actually says, that the word of God must be authoritative in our life. That we, mu- we can't be at this place where we're just picking and choosing what we do. Well, first of all, we have to read it. First of all, it has to be a, a primary thing that we do, that we submit ourselves underneath the authority of the word of God. And that is one of the greatest acts of humility that could ever exist. Because now you're saying, it is not my words or my way that I live by, it's yours. So first, we have to read it. We have to align our lives with it. But secondly, we can't pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. We don't get to say, I think the Bible says this, so that way it can support the way that I live. We, that, we don't get to do that. We don't get to define what God meant or God intended. Instead, we have to look to see what the Bible says and allow that to frame, shape, and mold all that we do. That That is the starting point. The starting point is not a decision, then we apply word of God. But it's look to the word of God, then we come to a decision by the grace of God. That is the way that we take up our cross and we deny ourselves. Denying yourself means that you are not the decision maker, the direction maker, or the mold of your heart and life. But that's Christ. Christ does that. Christ is the one that is the model for the way that we must live and pursue the kingdom and not pursue self. And taking up your cross is less about putting up with some um, awkward stage of life or tragic situation. It's less about that. Although I do think that that's part of it because there are going to be times in our life where God ushers in something that is very painful and hard and difficult to deal with. And then we have to bear that. There are burdens that we're going to have to bear. That is true. But when Christ says taking up your cross and following him here, that's not what he's referring to. What he's referring to is the denial of yourself and the the repercussions that would come out of that. You put that on your back as your cross and you bear it in the same way that Christ had to. That taking up your cross is more about a denial and death to self than it is about hard circumstances and trials, even though those will play a factor into it. In fact, sometimes taking up your cross will result in trials. Sometimes following Jesus will result in painful circumstances. And we have to be willing to walk and follow Jesus. 
because we give him all of ourselves, not part of ourselves, all of it. Which means when we make that commitment to follow Christ, we do so with a full and whole heart, knowing that the end joy is what we're after. And listen, it's going to be tempting for you to look at a cross that somebody else has to bear. It's going to be tempting to compare your crosses, but we're told to take up our cross, the one that is given to us. We're called to bear that, to carry that, to take up that and follow Jesus. We're not called to look at everyone around us and start comparing which one's better or easier or lighter or to even start to blame God because somebody else's is easier. We can't get to the place where we're like, well, God, why do they get it so easy? Why do they get to walk with you and seem to love you every day of your life and I'm sitting here stuck in the mud? We don't get to do that. But because Christ has already paid the penalty of our sin, we can walk in freedom, take up that cross and walk towards him and follow him in joy. But we can't be at this place where we have to start looking at other people's lives and whether or not they have it better than us. There, I was, this isn't in my notes, but I, I feel like it's applicable. I'll never forget one of my, I don't know if it was my first biblical counseling session or my second one. It was, it was right at the beginning, but I'll never, I'll never forget uh, this moment because uh, the counselor, his name is Jeremy, he said something to me that absolutely rocked my world, and it, I never left. Uh, I was never the same after that moment because I, I thought about my relationship with God. I thought about theology. I thought about what is normal for the, for the life of the believer differently from that point on. And I remember I was in a different place in life. I was, I was here, but I, I didn't work here full-time. I, I worked as a full-time in Aldean ISD as a teacher. I was full-time in seminary. I was still in the Coast Guard. I had my family, my wife, and two children. And, um, and I was also putting in about 35 hours here at the church on my own time, barely, uh, with almost no pay. I just wanted to do it because I loved it. My life was crazy. It was crazy busy. And I remember sitting in one of those counseling sessions and, and talking to Jeremy about all these like converging and conflicting things that I wanted to do. And he was like, well, why don't you just let one go? I was like, well, I, well, I can't. I can't. He was like, what do you mean you can't? I was like, I don't, I don't understand why there are these other guys that get to do this full time and that's all that they do. They're done with school and they get to just do ministry full time. I don't understand why they get that and I don't. And I remember him looking back at me and saying, do you feel like you've been dealt a bad hand? And I was like, what? Because I knew what would happen if I answered that question. If I said yes, then I'm denying the power of God's sovereignty. But if I said no, then I'm lying. I I remember the confliction that I had in my soul and I didn't know what to say, and I just sat there for a moment, and he, and he looked at me and goes, it's okay to say yes. And I just, I wept. Because, because I, I, know, I know what it feels like to know the right answer, but not, but not be obedient to it. I know what it's like to look at someone else's life and say, theirs is better. That must be easier. Instead of just saying, God, what would you have for me? How, how in this moment can you have my full heart, my full life? I know what it's like to, to not have to 
bear your own cross, but to just be mad that others have it easier. But that's not, that's not the call that we're given. In this text, we are given the call to take up our cross and follow Jesus, to deny ourselves and look to him. Let's keep going. Verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, let's just admit right out of the gate that this is completely counterintuitive. You, w- you wouldn't take this approach to like if you were drowning, right? You wouldn't just say, okay, well, if I just let it happen, then I'm going to live. But if, I, but if I like grab this life ring, then I'm going to drown. It's never going to, you wouldn't take that to like if you, if you got in front of a lion, you wouldn't do that. Hey, listen, if you just lay down in front of him, it's okay, he's going to walk away. But if you try to fight him or do anything like that, then, I mean, well, that, that is true. He will die. But, but all that being said, it's, it's completely counterintuitive to everywhere. Hey, if you just spend all your money in your bank account, everything's going to be fine. But if you don't spend any money, then you're going to go in debt. It does, it's completely counterintuitive. And so I think Jesus is trying to say something different than, than just what it means on the surface. In other words, I think that Jesus is saying, those who seek to make this time on earth their end, like this is it, this is what I need, they will gain nothing. And those who deny themselves and follow Christ will gain everything. C.S. Lewis said it this way. It won't be on the screen, so just listen. But, it's a, but he said it. He said, if you live for the next world, you will get this one in the deal. But if you live only for this world, you lose them both. And it's this idea of rewards. Jesus talks about this several times in the Gospels. One area where he specifically talks about it is when he's teaching his disciples to pray. And he says, don't pray like the Pharisees who stand on the corners and pray loudly with lofty words because they have already received their reward. It's this idea that they're looking for the praise of man. They're looking for the approval of man. And that is going to be their reward, not a relationship with the God that they're praying to. It's this idea that we can't, our pursuit cannot be this world. Our pursuit cannot be the things that we think are going to bring us peace and joy. Our our main pursuit in life cannot be a job, cannot be a family. If you're single, it cannot be marriage. It cannot, if you put anything other in that blank that's not Jesus, you lose everything. Because whatever you place in that in that line, it can't bear the weight. It cannot bear the weight of what God is meant to bear. The weight of God in your life can only be carried by Christ. It cannot be carried by anything else. Anything else will crumble when it's in that position. If it's another person that you've put in that place, they will crumble and ultimately you will be be let down and that relationship will be wedged. If it's a job, you'll start to wedge other relationships in your life because of the pursuit of a job. Because it can't bear the weight, and neither can you. Nothing can take the place of Christ on the throne. And so, 
what Jesus is giving us here is a call to live with a future hope in mind, that this world that we currently live in is a holding place for us and is meant to, is meant to be a shadow to point to the future hope we have with Christ in eternity, that we are sojourners and this life is not our end, so we, sh- we shouldn't spend time dressing it up. You know how ridiculous it would be if... So I told you I was in the Coast Guard, and every two weeks I drive down to Texas City, and I spend uh, two weeks there uh, at a Holiday Inn Express, the same one every year for the last six years. Uh, Not the same room. I'm not that weird. But it's really close to my works, and I could walk there, so so I do it. But do you know how ridiculous it would be if they give me my room key? I walk down there, and I open up the door. I prop it open, and I start tossing the bed out and go and purchase my own for two weeks. It's silly. It's madness. It's madness because I'm only going to be there for a short period of time and I won't come back again for a whole other year and odds are it won't even be the same room. So that's wasted time, wasted effort, wasted money. It would be ridiculous if somebody did that and I'd probably be, probably be kicked out. But when we start to pursue things on this side of heaven and not Christ, that's what it is. That's what we look like. We look like the person who's dressing up a hotel room. The pursuit of this world ends in really gaining nothing. We gain nothing from it. We don't gain the peace that we think that we're getting. We don't gain the joy that we think that we're getting. And things don't get solved the way that we we think that they're going to get solved. We have to lean and pursue Christ. And that in that pursuit, yes, you may forfeit and lose some things, but you gain everything. You gain Christ. You gain the person that can bring you joy, can bring you true peace, and can fill your heart the way that you think that it should be whenever you pursue others. Okay, verse number 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So in other words, what does it matter if you gain everything but lose Jesus? What does it matter if you get the perfect job, perfect family situation, everybody's healthy, nobody's suffering? What, what does it matter if you get those things but you lose Jesus? None of it. None of it. Jesus is the starting point. That relationship with him is the starting point in which we view and see everything, or at least it should be. Because it's through him that we actually get to see what those things were meant to be. That they're shadows pointing back to him. That he's actually a good God that gives us good things, and those things are meant to glorify him in return. That they weren't meant to just terminate on themselves. It would also be ridiculous if we look to uh, if we if you went car shopping and all you did was make your judgment on which car you were gonna go, you were gonna buy based on the shadow that the sun cast on it, that'd be ridiculous. Nobody would do that. But that's what we do when we pursue the world and not Christ. That's what we do when we forfeit our soul for the things of the world and don't forfeit the things of the world for Christ Himself, who is the substance. Furthermore, there's, there's nothing that we're going to do looking at that last statement when he says, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? There's nothing that we're going to be able to do to offer up that can pay that price. It, it's, what, it's what makes it so 
terrifying when Jesus is talking to the disciples, giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he says that people come up to him and say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Because, it, because our, our righteousness, the things that we do for God, don't, they, they don't matter. They, they, you can't earn that type of status. That You can't earn that place. Like I said, you couldn't. You can't pay that price. You can't pay that debt. There's nothing that you're going to be able to do. When the scripture says that our righteousness is a filthy rags, what it means is that even on your best day, not even your worst one, but even on your best day, it's a filthy rags. Which means there's not going to be anything that we could possibly do to offer up to God when Christ returns and say like, hey, but like, didn't I do this? Look how good of a father I was. Look how good of a husband I was. Look how, look how faithful of a worker I was. None of those things are going to pay the price that needed to be paid. You're not going to be able to substitute Christ for those things and God put the stamp on it. It's not going to be able to work. You have to be willing to let go of the things of this world and forfeit those things in order to gain Christ, to gain everything. I'll close with this. So the disciples didn't have the vantage point that we have, at least not yet. At least not when they were hearing this, when Jesus was talking. And obviously they didn't get it because this not only was the first time that Jesus had to say something, but it wouldn't be the last. Jesus continually had to over and over and over again tell them what was going to happen in order for this type of salvation to take place. They didn't have the vantage point that we have where we can look back now and say, yes, it is done. It's finished. Yes, he went to the cross. Yes, that crucifixion was in our place for our sin. And yes, he rose again on the third day and now we can walk in freedom. They didn't have that. So they had to walk in faith. But now we, on this side of, on this side of heaven, we can look back and say, it's done, it's finished, that Christ has already done this for us. That the good news for us is that we don't have to work towards this level of discipleship, but we have a place to work from because Christ himself has already paid the price and already denied himself, already taken up the cross, and already did that for us. That the thing that Christ is calling us to is the very thing that he led with, is the very thing that he did. That Christ denied himself on this earth, denied himself perfectly, didn't give in to temptation, didn't pursue the things. In fact, was, was tempted several times in the desert by the enemy himself and denied himself. And then didn't just take up a cross, he took up our cross. He took our punishment. He walked with the, the weight of the world might as well have been on that cross because he took our punishment that was deserved for us. He lived the life that we were called to live and he died the death that we deserved and then rose again triumphantly on the third day and get, now gives us his righteousness while he takes our sin. The good news is that as believers today, we have a place to work from. 
that we have a God that promises to be with us to the end of the age. We have a God that doesn't just say, take up your cross while I sit on the other side of the universe, but he's an imminent God who said, yeah, you know what? You can't bear that cross, so I'll take it for you, and then I'll give you mine. It's incredible. It's an incredible place for us to be able to work from today. So my question that I have for you, and I'll end with this, are you prepared to do what Christ would have you do? Are you prepared to live how he would call you to live? I don't know what your life looks like or what you may have to forfeit or what you may have to deny or what kind of cross you have to bear. I don't know that. That's between you and Jesus. But my question to you is, are you prepared to do whatever he may ask you? And if you're not, then I I think you have a place to work from right now. But you're going to have to be honest with yourself. Have you been all in? Has your heart been 100% in this? Not, not have you followed Jesus 50%, 60%, 90%, 99%. No, 100%. Have you been 100% in? If not, Christ is welcoming you this morning. He's asking you. And if you're not a believer in the room, then know that that penalty was paid on the cross for you. And that it wasn't free because the debt had to be paid, but it is freely offered to you this morning. And so my encouragement to you is that as we go into the Lord's Supper and as we start to worship, do so with a full heart that you have, you have a place to, to really dig in here. You have people that are going to pray for you, pray with you if you need it. And you have a God that has paid the debt so you have a place to work from, not a place to earn. If you stand, I'll pray for us. Father God, this, uh, the thing that you have called us to do, to deny ourselves and take up our cross, that is, that is not easy. It's a call that, re- that requires a deep devotion to you that sometimes can wane in our lives. And so, go- so God, where our hearts are not fully entrenched in what you would call us to, the type of discipleship that you have called us to, dedication to you where that's not there God we pray that you would that you would reveal it convict us where we need to be convicted and God give us the strength to be able to move forward and give our whole lives whole minds whole hearts to you it's in Jesus name we pray amen